You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. If I was to ask you which person in the Bible you would want to be like, I wonder what your response would be. I wonder if you'd say, I want the, the boldness and the beauty of Esther. Maybe I want the wisdom and the riches of Solomon. Maybe I want the passion and the legacy of the Apostle Paul. You ever look through the Bible and go, man, were these really just normal men? Or were they the Avengers of David gone by? Come on, if Tony Spark would have picked some of the apostles to be... Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, cool. Thought I was at the right campus. Uh, but if I was to ask you who in the Bible you were most like, not who would you like to be like, but who are you most like, I wonder if the response would be the same. I wonder if some of us would say, maybe I'm completely unfiltered and inconsistent like Peter. You ever noticed the only time Peter ever opened his mouth was to change feet? He's always putting his foot in. I wonder whether you're prone to little dummy spits like Moses was prone to little tantrums. I have three people who are like Moses in my house. Maybe Amanda's not one of them, by the way. Uh, maybe you've got a thousand wives like Solomon. If that's the case, you need a lot of help. And we have a counseling department that I'm not even sure will help you that much. If it, the, but I, but I, wonder, I wonder who we're actually like. When I read the story of Jacob, I see a lot of me. When I read the story of Jacob, I'm like, I, I relate to Jacob. See, Jacob could be very, very smart and very, very stupid all at the same time. Come on, anyone know someone like that? Don't nudge. It makes it real awkward. He could be both passionate and insecure all at the same time. He could be servant-hearted and selfish at the same time. Come on, you ever think, man, I, I'm going to serve people, I'm going to go into an environment, and then depending on the environment, I either get the servant-hearted me or the selfish me, depending on the buffet line brings out the selfishness in all of us, right? I'm going for it. Anyway, but mostly what Jacob struggled with was his identity in Christ. I reckon a lot of Jacob's issues were byproducts of the main issue of he struggled with his identity in Christ. And therefore, he thought he had to wear a lot of masks. He had to put on a lot of pretense. He figured out who he thought he should be and tried to make himself that in certain environments. Can anyone relate? There's only one honest guy in here to me. Why is there a difference between who we really are and who we want to be? Why is there a difference between who I set out to be at the beginning of the day? And when I look back across my day, I haven't quite stayed true to that person. I don't know about you, but I find myself in Jacob's shoes a whole lot. You know, the original idea of social media was to bring the world together. A Brogan, who is our... Uh, worship pastor, you know, Brogan is about five foot four wide uh, and about five foot four high. He's like a box. He's, uh, his wife is currently in labor as we speak. The waddle will soon end and she will release the baby. Anyway, so she's in labor 
as we speak. I thank God that in our day and age, I'm not going to have to wait three days for him to send me a picture in the mail. Uh, within 15 minutes of that child being born, I'm going to be open my phone and there is baby Brogan r- right there. And Becky is uh, going to do amazingly. It's going to be awesome. But we're not going to have to wait because social media, the goal of social media was to bring the world together. But how many know when we look at social media, we don't actually get the real person. We get carefully crafted, carefully picked, the 47th attempt of the same photo to get the right angle and the right person. Come on, anyone know what I'm talking about? Last year I was at Hillsong Conference and at the conference the entire stage was this massive dove. Like the whole stage was a dove. And I saw people standing on the side of the stage trying to get the right side of them with the dove in the background taken for. I'm like, no one wants to see your mug. They want to see the dove. And what happens if you don't have a right side like me? I've got to take a photo of the back of my head from, like, like but that's what we get. But Joseph, uh, Jacob shows us this. Even when, we met, even when we wear a mask, it can never replace the real us. Even when we live under pretense, it can never replace who we really are. Let me read you Jacob's beginning because his birth kind of sets the scene for the rest of his life. Genesis chapter 25 says this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. That's a good thing to do, husbands. Honestly. Do you know what your wife's greatest need is at the moment and how much prayer are you putting into your wife's greatest need? Side message. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered her prayer and Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled inside of her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord answered her, two nations are in your womb. That sounds really uncomfortable. I watched my, work, I watched my wife carry one child, and this lady's got two nations in her womb. That sounds really uncomfortable. Two nations are in her womb. Two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first one out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping at Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old. There's hope for you, Cam. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home amongst the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Things weren't smooth sailing in this house in the early days. It's never a good thing when the mother has a favorite and the father has a different favorite. It's going to set up for some challenges later in life. And I think in these few verses, we get three insights as to why Jacob felt like he needed to wear masks. When really, I don't think it's just Jacob. I think it's every one of us can relate to some of these. Let me give you three reasons why Jacob wore a mask. Number one, because we're born into a competitive world. See, if you go back a generation before to Isaac's dad, Abraham... Abraham and his wife Sarah were promised by God that they would have offspring, but they were well into their pension years. So they thought they would help God out. Come on, you ever been tempted to help God out? 
God, I've got a promise and you're not sticking to my timeline, so I'll just make it happen. Come on, anyone ever? Again, I'm the only one up here. Awesome. So, so, so Sarah says to Abraham, hey, why don't you take my maidservant Hagar and why don't you produce an offspring? Because obviously God's not delivering on his promise, so we've got to give God a hand. Like We've got to help God out with what he's doing. So they go off and they produce a child called Ishmael. But Ishmael always knew that he wasn't quite right because the promise was for Abraham and Sarah to have a child, not Abraham and Hagar to have a child. So that when Ishmael was 14 years old, Sarah got pregnant and Isaac came along. And that's when the trouble started because Ishmael knew that he'd never have a place in his father's heart like Isaac did. Because Isaac was the fulfillment of the promise. Isaac was the one that God had given. So we find ourselves in Genesis with a 17-year-old ridiculing a three-year-old. Ishmael giving Isaac a hard time. What would cause someone to do that? Because he knew that he would never have the place in his heart, in his father's heart, that the boy Isaac did. You think Isaac growing up in a home where he was the favorite would have learnt a thing or two about when he created his own family of what favoritism does within a home. But it seems to me by this story that the only lesson Isaac learnt was to protect the favorite. Because Isaac's favorite was Esau and Rebekah's favorite was Jacob and it caused all sorts of turmoil. Here's the problem. When life gets competitive, we get comparative. When we think life is a competition, and competition is good in certain arenas. How many remember when the All Blacks and the Lions drew? I hate to bring up bad memories, but how many remember when the... Oh, no one stood up on that day and went, you're all winners in my eyes. You're all just great sportsmen. We need competition on the sports field because that was the worst game in history. But competition, competition becomes unhealthy when it comes from a mind of scarcity. For me to win, you have to lose. And Jacob's born into an environment where it's really competitive. And he was, if I win, then you have to lose. Competition becomes dangerous when it comes from a scarcity mindset. And that's exactly where we find Jacob and Esau. And in fact, Jacob lost the first competition that really mattered. And that was being born first. Because in those days, the firstborn carried the birthright. They were the one that were responsible to carry on the family history. They were the one that got double the inheritance of all the other children. So Jacob comes out second, holding on to, you can even see the picture. He wanted to be born first. I wonder if he was trying to pull Esau back and he wanted to get out. But he came on holding on to Esau's heel because we're born into a competitive world. How many know that hasn't changed in 2,000 years? There is competition. So what's the challenge then? The challenge is my second point. We are all looking for worth. We're hardwired for relationships. 
We are hardwired to need people. We need family and people to develop into fully functioning human beings. Yet where there's dysfunction in the environment, we take on that dysfunction. Here's what I've learned. I used to look at people like Luke Dion and go, I hate you. Scratch that from the tape. Because I looked at his family and something inside of me wanted that. Like I came from a very different family environment than Luke is growing up in. And I don't hate him because I hate him. I'm just very jealous that I didn't grow up with parents who loved me like his parents love him and were committed to him like my parents were, like, sorry, my parents weren't committed to me like they were to him. So I used to look at that and go, man, I grew up in a dysfunctional environment. And you've got a functional environment. I've been pastoring now for 22 years. I've learned something. Every environment is dysfunctional. It's just a question as to what degree it's dysfunctional. The Deongs are dysfunctional. And we should all clap right there. <laughs> Where there is dysfunction... And you know what? I'm trying my best to create an environment where my kids can thrive. But I promise you, there's dysfunction in my environment. And unintentionally, they are picking up some of that dysfunction. And where there is dysfunction, we carry that dysfunction on. Esau's name means red. Very imaginative. Because the Bible said when he was born, he was red. Thank God we don't name our kids for the first thought that came out of our heads. Because I would have gone, ah! Slippery and slimy. <laughs> Just saying. And all the men said? Because all the ladies... Oh, you jerks. you all a bunch of scared under the thumb. Because mums go, oh. I go, wash it. Anyway, stop. So... Esau's name means red, really imaginative. Jacob's name literally means heel grabber or supplanter. Not just a backup or a replacement, but a supplanter is one who schemes and strategizes and deceives to take the place of another. Why did Jacob scheme and strategize and deceive? Because he was looking for worth in a birthright. You know, in the Western world, names don't mean a whole lot. Like my name is Scott Lee Thornton. My parents had decided on Scott Andrew Thornton. But when my dad went to the birth, deaths and registry office, he couldn't fit Andrew on the line that was there. So he wrote Lee. True story. I don't care. But in other cultures, names mean a whole lot. You know, we've just graduated last, uh, last year. We graduated uh, a whole bunch of Bible college students. And there was a young man in there. His name was Jin Wei Tan. Jin Wei Tan is from uh, Chinese background. And he was telling us that when he first came to college, his, his fear was that he would be nameless and faceless and wouldn't make an impact. I got to know a little bit more about Jin Wei and what I discovered was Jin is a family name. Like all of his uncle's names are Jin, all of his cousin's names are Jin, all of his brother's names are Jin, 
You turn up to a family reunion, it's here a gin, there a gin, everywhere a gin gin. Like if you want to call someone, just say gin and they all come running. Gin means gold. Way, which is the name that is specific to him, means brave. When he came to college, he said, all I saw myself was gin. Just a generic, another one, not going to do anything special. But inside of me, I wanted to do something with my life. But as I discovered who I was in Christ, the way came to the forefront. And I realized God had made me bold and brave and strong. But that didn't come from someone else naming him. That come from him discovering who he was in Christ. We're born into a competitive world. We're all looking for worth. And thirdly, we're set up to be let down. You know, we're all hungry for validation and affirmation. Yet there's imperfection and dysfunction that will affect all of us, which sets us up to be let down. Jacob and Esau grew up in a divided home. Isaac, the dad, loved Esau more than Jacob, I think for two reasons. Number one, because he was the firstborn. And number two, because if you read it, uh, Esau's favorites, uh, sorry, Esau's natural likes and natural tendencies were more in line with who the dad was, and he wanted to have a relationship with him. And my prayer is God never let us build relationship with people who come through those doors based on what we like and what our natural tendency is, but God let us have an open heart to anyone that comes through those doors to embrace them as family. So they grew up in a divided home, and he allowed, uh, uh, sorry, Isaac allowed his bias to shape how he saw his son. Jacob, on the other hand, wasn't that. He was happy to cook and stay at home. And therefore, mum liked him. And all Jacob wanted was the birthright. But I've learned that if my desire is not based on what God wants for me, then as soon as I get it, it's actually going to let me down. You ever seen someone chase something that at the end they go, man, I got it. And it was actually hollow. My daughter will remain nameless. Uh, Her greatest goal in life is to be taller. Like every morning she's measuring herself. Every morning. Dad, let's get the tape out. I'm like, babe, no. I'm done. Yeah, but I want to be taller. I'm like, have you seen your mom and your dad? You're not working with the greatest genes here. Like... Your mum can barely see over a garden gnome. Like you, they're, they're. Beautiful, but short. So I say to Kyla, who will remain nameless, I'm like, hey, babe, I'll pray with you that you grow tall. In fact, you know what? Tie yourself to a bed. I'll stretch you. I'll like pull you. I'll, I'll do everything I can. But why don't you pray that you're tall on the inside? Why don't you pray that you stand up at school and... Bring love where there is discouragement. Why don't you pray something bigger than just be tall? Because I've noticed that a whole lot of people, when they're looking for worth, they put their worth in something that ultimately can't deliver it. So when they get it, they're actually set up to be let down. So Rebecca and Jacob scheme. 
Esau's out hunting and when he gets back, he's hungry. He's like, man, I, if I don't eat, I'm going to die. Any parents of teenagers know that story? Dude, you ate four hours ago. Shut up. So Jacob sees his opportunity and says, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you give me the birthright. Esau, without a thought, takes the bowl of stew and gives him a birthright. But Rebecca, who remember God had spoken to Rebecca that the younger will serve the older, which is completely different in that culture. And I'm sure Rebecca had told Jacob, hey, you're my favorite. And one day Esau is going to say, serve you. One day you're going to be the greater. So Rebecca and Jacob scheme and they know that the birthright is only activated with the blessing of the father. So a little while later, while Esau is out hunting, Rebecca says, hey, why don't we kill a goat? We'll make some stew and then we'll take the skin of the goat and put it over you, Jacob, so that you're hairy like your brother. How flippin' hairy do you have to be to wear a goat? That's, dude, you need some, like, something. You need an epilady. So, so Jacob makes, him, makes himself smell like his brother, sound like his brother, look like his brother and feel like his brother to go before his father and say, Dad, would you bless me and activate the birthright? And how many Christians go before their dad and think they have to change the way they look, change the way they're perceived, cover the things that they struggle with, to get the blessing of God. And Jacob gets the birthright activated. And in that moment, when Esau finds out, wants to kill his younger brother, understandably. So Jacob runs to Uncle Laban's place. Uncle Laban is a farmer and Jacob starts to work for Uncle Laban because he's trying to get away from his brother. And Jacob sees Rachel, who is Uncle Laban's daughter. He says, hey, I'd like to marry that girl. The Bible says that Rachel's the pretty one and Leah is the plain one. The Bible created PC here, people. So Laban says to Jacob, work for seven years, I'll give you Rachel. So he works for seven years. You know what's amazing? What you sow, that you will also reap. And Jacob sowed deception and he reaped deception. So he works seven years. They have a wedding. And the Bible says on the wedding night, Laban takes Rachel, the pretty one, and replaces her with Leah, the plain one. Imagine the morning after. Ah! The Bible says that he commits to work another seven years. And he gets Rachel. And if you read it, Jacob goes on to create the same problem that Abraham and Isaac had created. Because the Bible says that Rachel was Jacob's favorite. And it created all of this tension and challenge to the point where Laban and Jacob had to path ways. And Jacob thought, I'm going to go home. 
But what's waiting for me at home is my brother who wants to kill me. So he packs up his two wives and he packs up all of his children. He packs up all of his belongings and he starts the trek home and he's thinking, how do I scheme and how do I devise and what have I got to send in front? And the Bible says that he split his family up in case Esau came and killed half of them. He'd still have half left. And then the Bible says that he sent gifts ahead because Jacob is still thinking, I got here out of my own efforts, so I'm going to have to sustain it out of my own efforts. And then we find Jacob halfway home and this amazing passage of scripture happens. I want to read it to you. Genesis 32. So Jacob's on his way home, figuring out how to smooth things out with the mess that he's made. It says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. This is the first time in Jacob's life that he wrestled under his own name and didn't try and be someone else. And the lesson we learn here is the only way that we can wrestle with God is not with a goat skin on and not trying to be someone else, but being who we are, false challenges and all. Who are you? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there and Jacob called the place Peniel because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. Jacob, for the first time in his life, wrestled with God face to face, not hiding behind a mask, not coming to him how he thought God would want him to come to him, but face to face. And the outcome was God changed his name from supplanter and deceiver to one who wrestles with God. Friend, I know there are people in church, I've been guilty of it, where I want God to change me. But the only time God can change me is when I wrestle with him face to face and drop the pretense, drop the religion, drop the you think you want to be that but here I am challenges and all we wear masks because we live in a comparative world because we're hungry for value because we're set up to be let down I've got good news for you in a comparative world where there's competition God is not a limited resource Just because God is blessing someone else doesn't mean He can't bless you. And just because someone else is moving forward doesn't mean you can't move forward. God is not limited. He is unlimited. So in a competitive world, you don't have to think someone else's win is your loss. You can believe God, if you did it for them, you can do it for me. If they broke through, I can break through. We don't need to compete for God's attention. And there's no point in comparing ourselves in front of Him. We're all looking for value. Number two, God gets the final say on our worth. Don't look to stuff. Don't look to success. Don't look to career. 
Don't look to your spouse or your kids. Don't look to family of origin, but God gets the final say on your worth. In Jeremiah 18, he tells the prophet to go down to the potter's house. And there the prophet sees the potter on the wheel. And with a bit of license, he would have seen the potter discard some of his creation and put some into the furnace. And the reality is we are God's creation. And as long as there is breath in your lungs and as long as there is blood in your veins, you have not been discarded and God sees you as worthy of His call and His love and His grace and stop looking to stuff or what other people say. God determines your final worth. We're set up to be let down. Here's here's one of the biggest revelations of my life. I don't need to be perfection to know perfection. Hebrews chapter 12 says that Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of my faith. Not only is he perfect, but he's in the process of perfecting me. And if a perfect God is willing to wrestle with me in my dysfunction, then I don't need to pretend to be perfect but I can deal honestly with him and others. God would rather me wrestle with him honestly than hide perfectly. And I wonder today how many people, you can relate to Jacob. I felt like I've had to wear a mask. I felt like I've had to portray certain things and Maybe you grew up in a culture of religion where you couldn't talk about some stuff that you're struggling with. Listen, God isn't scared of your struggles. In fact, he said to Jacob, the reason I can rename you is because you've wrestled with God and man and you've overcome. A wrestle doesn't mean you're a failure. A wrestle means you're set up to become all God's called you to be. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle feel like you have to become someone else to be accepted by him you know what legacy is all about legacy is all about creating an environment where whoever comes through those doors can find a place where they can wrestle with God and be renamed from hopeless to hopeful from discouraged to encouraged and the greatest need of every one of us is a need for a savior. And the Bible says that we all have a problem. We've all been born into this world of sin. Whether we like it or not, we have sin. And where there is sin, there is death. Amanda's grandmother passed away just a couple of weeks ago and she was 89 years old, loved Jesus. She graduated to heaven. But there's still separation. She's no longer here. Where there is Sin, there is death. And where there is death, there is separation. And one day, all of us are going to stand before God and give an account for our lives. And if there is undealt with sin in our life, it will create death, which will cause separation. And friend, God loves you too much to be separated from you. Jesus loves you too much to be separated from you. So Jesus came into this world and 
took skin on and lived amongst us and died on the cross. And the Bible says that all the sin and separation of the past, all the sin and separation of the present and all the sin and separation of the future were put on him. And he paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And Jesus died with all that sin on him. But because sin is not more powerful than Jesus, and because he is sinless, death couldn't hold him down because he is greater than death and separation. And he rose again. And the Bible says when he rose again, he ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit into the earth to knock on the hearts of men and women and let them know that your sin and your death doesn't have to cause separation between you and God. But Jesus paid the price. And that's the gospel. The gospel isn't about how good you are. The gospel is about how good he is. And I wonder how many people in church today, you're still carrying sin that Jesus paid for. You're still carrying death that Jesus gave his life that you don't have to carry it. And our church exists to see people discover that they have a savior from their sin and his name is Jesus. And all I need to do is put my trust in him, accept the free gift of forgiveness and give my life to him. And I can live in relationship with my God forever because my sin no longer causes death and separation. Jesus paid the price. So friend today, have you accepted? Or are you still wearing a mask? I can make it. I can do it. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. Friend, no, you're not. On your best day, you're not enough to get rid of and be an answer to the sin that we all have. It's only in Jesus can we find freedom from that sin. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.